Based on some evidence I will talk about later, I'm to understand this is a rather popular episode. So, before I go any further, I'm actually quite curious. Do you like this episode? No judgment one way or the other. I haven't given any of my opinion. You can tell this isn't a lamentation. I'm just curious. Because I'd never even heard of people liking this episode. Oh, don't mistake me. This is an often parodied episode. I can think of a Simpsons episode and a future episode off the top of my head that specifically parody this episode. And I myself have used the Quatloos joke several times, so it's certainly meme-worthy. But then so is Phantom Menace. So I'm actually curious, really. Waiting patiently. I suppose I'll mention while I while you guys answer that and rush down there to answer that. There's some. It, this is an interesting cast. So first of all, we have Robert Johnson. And you're probably thinking, who? And if you are, well, that doesn't surprise me, because then you probably haven't seen Mission Impossible, the original. This tape will self-destruct. That's him. He plays the yellow provider. Uh, provider three or two? I didn't write down the number. He plays the yellow one. It's really obvious. As soon as he starts talking, it's like, oh, dude. I actually cannot believe I never caught that before, but I don't think I've rewatched this episode in quite a while, so that might be why. Margaret Armin, that's not an actress, uh, actress. She's actually the writer. She also wrote Paradise Syndrome and The Cloudminders, two episodes I barely remember, so I can't comment on their quality. We also have uh, Gene Nelson, who's the director, who has never directed anything else again. That's, that hasn't happened in a while, has it? Don't worry, that, we're basically past that phase of Star Trek. Going forward, it's going to be the big three, a few, and just a couple of one-offs. And when we get to f season three, it's going to get even worse. But, um, but check this out: Joseph R Raskin is the guy who plays uh, Galt. First of all, I want to say excellent thing. He he himself developed this idea where he kind of glides as he moves because the long cape to to kind of get across that pseudo inhuman look as he's moving. And to make the viewer, at least hopefully, think that maybe he's not even completely humanoid underneath that. Which is kind of a cool idea. You know, limited budget, limited effects. Do what you can. Totally with it. But check this out. I was like, he looks really familiar. He played Tumok. Tumek? Tumek. Over in Deep Space Nine. Uh, you may recognize him as the, the, the associate, the house, the butler. I forget what they called it. The butler of... God, I can't think of the name of the house. The house that Quark got involved with over in D-Space 9. You know, looking for Parmok in all the wrong places. That that whole thing. Yeah, that's him. And he also played the Vulcan Master over in Gravity on Voyager. Actually, one of my favorite Voyager episodes. He was the one who was training young Tuvok in how to master his emotion. He also played Odo's informant on D-Space 9 uh, in Probable Cause. Remember that? I think there's actually a couple others, but those are the big ones. I just, he's, he's good. He's just good stuff. It was a good job. It was a good choice. But I suppose now I've given you plenty of time to answer. I do like this episode in the same way I like Final Fantasy Mystic Quest. On the off chance you don't specifically get that reference, I would not consider this a good episode. It is, in fact, a cliche storm of an episode, which is not necessarily bad in its own right, but ultimately not really well done and contains several serious flaws to it. But there's a endearing nature of the cheesiness and the ridiculousness which it embraces fully, which helps me to enjoy it. I'm, I'm actually kind of reminded of the Royale over on TNG, an episode that's just kind of whatever, but is still enjoyable in spite of that, right? That's my take on it. 
unfortunately, don't have much to talk about. So we've got the bikini women, we've got a guy from Robin Hood, and we've got an ogre. They just kind of show up to fight them. Okay, okay. Then they clasp them to a wall, and then they release them. What? what? I'm, I'm guessing that was to get the, the collars on? Then, okay, so I actually completely forgot to talk about this. Was it last episode? It was last episode in The Lamentation. There were two really weird, dumb commercial break moments. Uh, both of them... So, I'm going to go ahead and talk about it here. Uh, there was this one moment where Kirk's like, Oh, I'm dying! And the guy's like, staring blindly. And McCoy's like, What are you doing? Don't you understand? He's going to die! Do something, man! Da-da-da-da! Commercial break, right? I hate that. I hate that in any television, especially Trek. It doesn't happen that often in modern Trek. I've pointed it out every time it did. The most famous example probably being The Visitor, which is actually a really excellent episode, which is why it sticks out so much in my mind. But I hate that crap. There was actually another one. Uh, what was it? Ah, I don't even... I didn't write down the specifics. There was another one of those things. But there's one, one of those here, and it's probably the worst scene in the episode. And when I saw this scene, I was ready to just slash this all the way down, either to Lamentation status or the step right above it. And then the rest, the rest of the episode, you know, managed to make up the difference. I, I can't, in good conscience, give an episode of Lamentation for one horrible scene. If I did that, I would have done it to Dear Doctor. No, the scene in question is, in order, and, and this is important, Uhura's drill thrall tries to sexually molest her, to put that as nicely as I possibly can tries to force himself on her. Now, this is important, because what happens is they go out of frame, it's like, Ura! Ura! Ura, no! What are you doing, man? Don't just stand there! Save him! He's gonna die! Oh, sorry. You get the point. It's the same exact thing. It's the build-up to the commercial break. It's like, oh my god! Then the commercial break happens, and we come back, and she's fine. Now, she's fine because she fought him off, because she's frickin' Ura. But... That really pissed me off. It's okay, though. Because then Tamoon shows up for Chekhov and possibly molests him, too. We don't actually see that one, but it's okay, because that's funny that time. Ugh. Whatever. Moving on. Let's get past the bluff. So then we discuss Shauna, who, of course... Does every drill thrall have, have like, a sexual thing with their thralls? Because that's literally all three of them. Anyways, Kirk and Shauna are like... And he tries to explain what beautiful is to her. I'm going to take a moment to talk about Angelique Pettyjohn, if that's okay. She's the woman who plays uh, Shauna and had a really unremarkable career. Near as I can tell through no real fault of her own. I have on I've only seen like two things of hers. One was the... Oh, what was it? it was the Wizard movie in like 88 or 89 or something like that. And the other one's this one, obviously, this episode. But near as I can tell, she's not what I would call a bad actress. Not great, but she's smart, more than capable of actually doing acting. It's just, well, she had that resume poison problem that I'm sure most of us understand at some point or another in our lives. Yes, uh, um, I'd like to apply for this office job. Oh, I see, and it looks like you've worked at Arby's, um, and the local, uh, you've worked at the local retail store as a cash register clerk. 
Yes, sir. But as you can see, I do have a degree, and I, and I already answered the question that you posed to me as part of the interview process uh, with a 100% success rate. Yeah, that's nice. Listen, we're looking for someone who's actually got some working experience in the IT industry. We'll go ahead and, and push you back. Thanks for coming, though. Appreciate your time. God, I remember what that place looked like. I, I can literally picture it in my head. I can tell you how to drive there. I could tell you. I'm not going to tell you the name of the place. I'm sure I am not the only one who ever had the resume poison problem. But that's also related to the, you know, screw you trying to get a job problem, the unemployment problem in short, and also the we want work experience problem, but I'm getting off topic. The point is, she was not doing great, and that sucks. And then, apparently, she ended up going to the convention circuit for Trek. And that worked out for her, and she became a very regular person who would regularly go to the convention circuit and actually managed to make a earning, make a, a working living running the convention circuit for Trek, which is actually kind of awesome. Like, I mean, I, I wish more good luck had happened to her than that. But once again, it's nice that we actually managed to embrace someone who was basically chewed up and spit out by Hollywood and actually tried to do something good for her so she could actually have a frickin' life and you know, be around people who actually appreciate her for being awesome rather than just whatever, you know. I mean this with, with total sincerity. She's actually one of the highlights of this episode, and she's wearing a metal bikini, or a cellophane bikini, or whatever that actually is. Which, by the way, this is going to sound like a prudish comment. I swear it's not. It looks terrible on her. It's not the fact that it's, it's skin-revealing. It looks bad. It looks like a bad outfit. You can be revealing and look good, even even for a prude like me. No, that just was, what the heck are you thinking here? <laughs> Why? So, no, I do think, despite her outfit, that she is one of the hallmarks in the better parts of this episode, except when it pisses me off, but I'll get to that later. So, she kind of interacts with Kirk, and Kirk sucks at explaining himself. Can't even explain the word beautiful? Come on, dude. This then leads to, uh, well, institutionalized slavery. For record, I actually covered bread and circuses today from my perspective, so it's kind of fresh in my mind. This is nice, except they kind of go the inverse approach here. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to go with inverse, not opposite. Because they don't mistreat the slaves, but they they do use negative reinforcement rather than positive reinforcement, which is what the Romans were doing over in Bread and Circuses. Now here, it's do what you're told or else pain. Okay, go back to doing what you're told. And that's pretty much it. Negative reinforcement. That's, that's why the inverse. Um, you also notice the thralls also take care of other thralls. That's... That's all kinds of messed up, and I could talk about it a while, but the episode doesn't, so all I'm going to say is that it's pretty messed up and leave it at that. This is... <laughs> it's pretty messed. I, I don't actually know what else to say about this. This is a good time as I need to talk about the B-plot. The B-plot's weird, because the B-plot is kind of padding, but kind of not. So the B-plot is Spock, McCoy, and Scotty trying to figure out and try to figure out what happened. Now, Trek has this problem in a lot of its episodes, where the main cast, the main whoever the main actors are of the episode, are off doing the main plot, and then the B-plot is the rest of the ship trying to figure out where their people went. 
the, the reason this is a problem is it's so logical to think about it. Of course, they're looking for them. But the problem is we, the audience, are already following the action on the A plot. We know where they are. We know what's going on. There's no mystery for us. So following the B plot of the ship, figuring out where they are, it tends to be pretty boring. Now, clever episodes have used this to good effect, either by adding comedy or character moments, or having the revelation that where the A-plot is is not where we, the audience, think it is, and the B-plot of the starship reveals the truth of the A-plot to the audience. So there, this has been done to good effect, and this episode kind of sits a little bit in the middle for me, I think, on this one. Because on the one hand, all the usual problems. They're just trying to find where they went. But on the other hand, on the good hand, there's some surprisingly decent moments between Spock, McCoy, and Scotty. They're a little weird, but at the same time, when I started thinking about it, I ended up liking it. There's this great scene. I'll, I'll use a specific example. Where McCoy is like, you know, I, I think, we, excuse me, Scotty's like, I think we've gone too far. McCoy's like, I agree. We should go back and do another scan. And Scotty's like, I'm in concurrence with him. Now, that's an ultimatum. Right? So what happens is Spock gets up calmly, walks around, leans down, and in a lowered tone of voice, because they're on the frickin' bridge, I am still in command unless you plan to do mutiny. He says this very plainly. Now McCoy's like, what? No! No, we're not mutinying. And Spock's like, then we will proceed as directed. However, we will go ahead and do your suggestion once we go back. And both of them are like, okay. It's it's a surprisingly good scene for me, because at first I'm like, what are you doing, Spock? But then I realized he's responding very logically to it, isn't he? Because what they did was they just delivered an ultimatum. That means he has two choices. Stand his ground or capitulate. Now, Spock is fairly certain of his theory, and he is right. So he decides to stand his ground. Thus, he brings out what is effectively a threat. Are you threatening mutiny against me? Accusing someone of mutiny is a threat, and he does so very calmly and succinctly, and it has the exact intended response. Shock. It shocks both of them out of their opposition to his plan. Then he offers the balm. Okay, after this, we'll go ahead and try it your way. Deal? Deal. See, stuff, little stuff like that is why this episode is a lot better than I remembered, and why I do actually enjoy it, despite some... Whew, some problems. Um, I've been talking about the fights. You know, I've been kind of judging the fights as we go. I was all ready to say the fights suck in this episode, because they kind of do. Up until the big one, which happens later on. I suppose I should build up to that. Hang on, let, let's rewind a second. So we've got institutionalized slavery, and that's fun. Uh, then we've got, uh, he gets auctioned off, that sucks. Then he's off training with Shauna, and there's this weirdly uplifting music playing as he's exp explaining love to her. Because, never mind, I just defeated my own argument. I was about to say, because you need to understand love to understand the opposite of slavery. But then I realized, actually, if you did understand and actually felt real, you know, real love, not romantic, just love in general, then you wouldn't practice slavery, right? I mean, because then you'd love them, and you wouldn't do something so horrible to them. So never mind, I defeated my own argument, like I said. But it's the song that I most associate with the big, uplifting speech that Kirk tends to give. No, that's a lie. The, the, the song, the, the thing I most associate that song with, We the People, Omega Glory. I could picture Shatner 
reciting the lines and the music, the patriotic music swelling as as he does it. As I can actually picture it. Tell me you can't. Tell me you can't. I guess that's hear it, but whatever. You get the point. So that swells as he explains love to her, and then he claims he's responsible. He actually does this twice. Once with Uhura, he demands that he gets the comeuppance, and once with Shauna. Uh, as a result of him getting the, not the comeuppance, excuse me, the punishment, as a result of him claiming Uhura's punishment, he has to fight the ogre. I don't remember his name, I don't care. And, I'm kidding, he did uh, Kumbla, Lunka, Gruku, something like that. I did not write it down. What's interesting is the fight between him and the, and the giant, the ogre, is actually not bad. It's it's not bad. It's it's pretty decent, and there's some decent moves that that Kirk actually manages there, which makes the fight more interesting than it otherwise would be. You know, it even sets up with the camera angle in the back, and then he jumps in, k- kicks off, lands, and the the momentum of it allows him to to shove his legs up and get his hands around his legs. So now his hands are in front of him. It's got to absolutely cream his arms and shoulder shoulder sockets, but let's not even talk about that. It's good stuff. I'm with it. So decent decent fights. Then, uh, you know, then he, then he goes off, then he, then he's like, oh, I must, no, no, punish me, not her. And the provider's like, well, that's funny. He's, he's got compassion. What kind of nonsense is that? Then they kiss. I've got to be completely honest. I was actually in the middle of jotting down a note, uh, about something unrelated that we'll get to in a second. When, when the kiss scene happened, and I just burst out laughing because it comes so out of nowhere, and is so obviously oh, okay. It's it's the it's the alien woman of the week kind of a thing in virtually every way. Moving on, then we have a weird exposition moment for some reason where Kirk actually explains what's going on to the Enterprise crew because we need to pad out the episode, and then we see that they're living brains who enslave people because they're bored, because they don't have a purpose now that they've evolved to this level. Okay, you know, I can kind of get on board with that. Sure, sure. Um, question. Why are why do we have any level of sympathy or understanding for the providers? They're slavers. In fact, there's a couple of lines I jotted down, and I quote, Number one, it's okay, we only use inferior beings for the games. And another one is, a thrall? Govern themselves? Ridiculous. Sound familiar? I don't know if this is a deliberate uh, analogy, homage, whatever you want to call that, but it sure as hell feels like one, doesn't it? Either way, he argues morality against them, fails miserably, and then decides to bluff them. So this is actually kind of neat, because it is Kirk effectively out-talking the computer. It's like, okay, well, I can't win moralizing, I can't speechify them, so okay, I'll just convince and connive you. He rolls deception, and he does a good job with it. Okay, cool. This then leads to the fight. Now, what's hysterical is they mention the rules, and they're going down, you know, anytime you walk in an... Yawn attack. Anytime you walk in another person's color... Excuse me. Someone loses a weapon, right? Now, I was like, okay, I'm going to pay very close attention, but I don't even have to bother. They go all over the place on the colors. They don't even bother trying to stay on only one color or another. It's really funny to watch. And they're just like, okay, check this out, too. It's a big fight to the death, right? They even mention this is a fight to the death. And so Kirk ends up directly or indirectly killing three of the thralls. 
including an Andorian. Then Sean is brought in, and, you know, there's this big fight between the two of them, and then he beats her, and then she says, the thralls surrender! Wait, what, that, that was an option? That was on the table? Logical disconnects and issues like this are why I say that this is not a great episode, despite the fact that I enjoy it. This leads to something that irritates the crap out of me. So the providers get no comeuppance of any variety here. In fact, there's nothing to even enforce the rules after they leave. You will give these people the ability to govern themselves, and you will train them in how to do it. Now, Kirk phrases that as if it's a game. And I've played Civilization. You know, I, I, I derive great enjoyment from that kind of thing. And when I conquer the world, September 37th, 18, uh, 1839, it's going to be a very fun game to try and actually fix this stupid planet. But there's nothing to enforce that, and they get no negative repercussions whatsoever for their actions. And, I mean, like I said, they could just decide to be like, nah, no, we decided to go back to enslaving as soon as the Enterprise crew leaves. There's nothing here to prevent that from happening. But even if we take that at face value, that then leads to the second biggest part of the episode that actually pisses me off. The first part was the Uhura thing, which I already... I mean, first of all, the fact that you're trying to show that scene at all really bothers me. Like, God, can we have enough of women trying to be... people trying to violate women on Star Trek? I already covered TNG. I'm already sick of it from that. But then we add into the fact that it was just done for a dun-dun-dun leading up to a commercial break, which just makes it even more aggravating. You know what I would have done if you really got to have the, the, the sexual thing for some reason? Here's what I would have done. He comes in, I have chosen you, and you will be mine. And she rushes off, no! And then you just hear this really loud, boom! And then, ahura, ahura, commercial break, and it comes back, and she comes back, and she's like, yeah, I'm fine, Captain. And she's holding the the this, the the giant mug, which she is holding, if you pay attention to the episode. She's actually holding the damn thing anyway, so we, we get the idea of what she did to find him off. Just, you know, try to smooth that over a little bit. Anyways, the other, the second thing that pisses me off is they leave behind Shauna. Why? Bring her with! There's no prime directive here. There, there is literally no reason, zero reason given why they don't just take her and bring her to a better life. You, you could take her to a Federation world. You could have her on the starship. She could join Starfleet. There's a dozen options there. But no, no, you stay here, and we'll never see you again. I know Trek has this really bad habit of making a strong emotional bond with a character that will never be seen again. Doesn't make it piss me off any less, no matter how normal it is. But those two major complaints aside, I did actually have fun with this one, so I can kind of see why this is apparently a beloved episode. I look forward to seeing your guys' comments in what you think about this one. Either way, hope you guys have enjoyed as always. I'll see you guys next Quatlu. Or, I mean, 